Hey everybody, Michael Davis here and welcome to Bone to Pick. I'm really excited today to be sitting down with uh, one of my all-time favorite drummers, the great Jared Schoening. Uh, Jared is uh, certainly one of the most in-demand drummers on the commercial and jazz scene here in New York. Also one of the most versatile drummers you're ever going to hear. Uh, I often refer to him as the Steve Gadd of his generation because he has the, the incredible combination of great virtuosity on his instrument, but also incredibly versatile and makes whatever style of uh, music he's playing, he's able to take it up a notch. So it's uh, uh, really great to have him here on the Bone to Pick series. We're going to talk uh, a lot today about an incredible new project that he has just released. just came out last week, uh, and it's entitled Two Takes, Volume 1, Quintet, and Volume 2, Big Man, which is this one right here. And um, it's eight of Jared's compositions. Uh, obviously, the quintet features the small group, and then he had eight different arrangers uh, arrange one p uh, chart apiece. Uh, for the big band project. I was super happy to be, get the call for, to play on it. Uh, it's a wonderful project. I encourage everybody to uh, check it out on Bandcamp. Uh, really, really great stuff. Uh, it's already off to a tremendous uh, start with the, the jazz critics, uh, both press and also getting a lot of traction with the jazz radio. Um, Jared is uh, a co-founder of the outstanding group, The We Trio, uh, which uh, has released five critically acclaimed CDs. He has toured and recorded with a myriad of artists, including Nicholas Payton, Dr. Lonnie Smith, Donnie McCaslin, Darcy James Argue, Tom Harrell, Kurt Elling, The New York Voices, just to name a few. And um, my, my own personal experience with Jared, we, uh, we met and played together for the first time back in uh, 2013 on the uh, revival of the show Pippin. And since then, we've gone on to play hundreds of gigs together. Uh, I was super thrilled to have him on the Hip Bone Big Band CD. And he's also done all our live shows here in New York uh, with the big man, as well as a, a show we did in Chicago. Um, and this is uh, one of my favorite stories. Uh, when we were doing Pippin, uh, we had a wonderful conductor named Charlie Alterman, really talented uh, gentleman and pleasure to work with. And uh, he was playing the keyboard chair and also conducting at the same time. And uh, Charlie's a great musician, but probably not like a stone-cold bebop guy, I would say, safe to say. And uh, one day I walked into the theater, uh, quite early, there weren't that many people, and uh, all of a sudden I hear somebody shredding uh, giant steps on piano. So I thought to myself, I, I, I don't think that's Charlie, but I'm just going to go take a look to make sure. So I climb up the little ladder and, uh, and uh, up to the conductor's podium, and sure enough, it's Jared Schoening playing piano, just shredding giant steps. And I was like, okay, that's it. <laughs> So that his versatility extends uh, beyond the drums. Uh, it's it's quite amazing. So, anyway, long intro. Without any further ado, uh, Jared, thanks so much for coming up to New City and uh, sitting down with us and talking about your extraordinary career. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about this. So okay. we'll start. Usually, I go back to uh, you know beginning times of uh, where you grew up and everything, which we'll get to. But I have a whole bunch of questions about this and. Um, um, Let's start with where did the original idea come from? What gave you the thought to, to put these two out together? Because I, I don't can't think of a time when anybody's done it. It's very cool. Yeah, I, th I hope I'm the first and uh, <laughs> maybe not the last. But, um, you know, the, the We Trio was always like my creative outlet for my music and, uh, you know, a co-led co trio. And as that kind of um, had its ending, because a couple of the guys kind of moved on with their lives in different ways, um, I really I needed another way to you know uh, showcase my music and just have a, my creative endeavors out there and 
Um, I knew I wanted to do a small group because I had a couple of guys that I really wanted to play with, Marquise Hill on trumpet mm -hmm. and um, Godwin Louie on alto. Um, but my dream was always to do a big band record. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> well, I know why, because I love it. Um, I grew up listening to big band before I ever listened to small group jazz, and um, Buddy Rich is, you know, one of my heroes. And uh, so, obviously, you are one of my heroes as well <laughs> for playing with him for many years. Um, but I, I've always been a fan of how other arrangers take on standards or just other people's compositions. Mm -hmm. And I and maybe three, four years ago, it popped into my head, wouldn't it be cool to do my own big band record? But then I, I kind of thought, man, I'm not really good at, at arranging. Why don't I just have like these amazing cats and, um, and, and band leaders that I've worked with just do my charts and I'll have a book of music that's incredible and... And then the, the finally, like the idea to put them out together was really what what elevated it. Just to like, so I could show how music can sound different and be interpreted by others, and especially great artists and great arrangers. Mm -hmm. Let's let's talk maybe about the arrangers themselves. Sure. I know you have. Uh, I mean, every I can assure you, every chart on there is a ten. It's uh, yeah, oh, really they thanks. did such a great job. Every every single arranger. But tell us the the arrangers yeah. that you picked. Um, so. I had eight different arrangers. Um, all of them are very well respected and huge in the field of, of modern jazz composition and arranging. Um, we'll start off with uh, the great Jim McNeely, who I met maybe seven, eight years ago in New York doing the BMI Jazz Composers Workshop, mm -hmm. which I was a member of for many years. Um, and then along with him uh, was the great Mike Holliver, who was the co-director there. Um, who I've gone on to play in his band and do records with. Um, you've got Alan Ferber, who's a, uh, a Grammy-nominated, amazing trombonist and uh, composer-arranger. Also a guest on the Bone to Pick series. <laughs> amazing. Um, also, uh, the wonderful Miho Hazama, who is a super incredible um, writer and, and arranger who is now with the Danish radio big man as the, oh, wow. as okay. the conductor there. Um, but I've played in her band a ton and gone to Japan with her multiple times. I just She's just one of my favorites, period. Um, we've got Darcy James Argue, who is someone I've been aware of since college and played his music at Eastman, at the Great Eastman, also where Mike uh, is a um, graduate of. And... Um, uh, so, and I've also toured with his band, um, who else we have? John Diversa, who, uh, funny enough, went to the same high school as me in mm. California. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. And uh, great, great guy who's now at uh, University of Miami. Uh, Lawrence Hobgood, who is a wonderful arranger and pianist who I met playing with Kurt Elling, and who I've played with ever since, maybe 10 years now. And uh, the newest uh, arranger was Brian Kroc. Mm. who I had heard of but not really checked out, but Darcy gave a very glowing recommendation to check him out, and mm -hmm. I did, and I loved his stuff, and he was just uh, really wonderful, gave a great rendition of Gibbs Street. Yeah. Boy, mm. I, it's such, it's such an uh, um, ambitious uh, undertaking to get everybody to uh, yeah. arrange, and, and they all did, it all it just melds together really nicely to me, and uh, to your... Uh, Kudos to you for your compositional abilities. I think that's the thread that keeps it uh, yeah, so, so cool. But uh, but really great. Um, 
what made you pick the studio that you picked? Because I, I had worked there a little bit, but I thought it was really a, a great room yeah. to, to play in for the big band. Yeah, I, I, the, so the studio that Mike mentioned is Octavian Studios, which is in Mount Vernon, New York. Um, and we did this in 2019, end of 2019. And, my, you know, my favorite studio in New York is Power Station, uh, formerly known as Avatar. But they were going through a big renovation um, during that period of time. So Octavian was one of my favorite studios that I had done a bunch of big band records at. Um, the last one I probably had done there was uh, guitarist Joel Harrison's record, and uh, Mike Holliber did his record there. All right, man. And I really love the drums they have. They have a great, like, kind of Gretsch uh, Ludwig hybrid set, and it was very comfortable for me to play. Um, you know, in an isolated room with the with basically the whole big band in one room and enough space for all of you guys to have space. Um, and uh, you know, I had uh, James Farber come and and engineer the record, who is obviously a living legend. Yeah, one um, of the best. Yeah. One of the best ever. And that was he loves the studio, so he mm. was he was mm -hmm. totally down um, early on. Um, so yeah, it's cool. Great. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the personnel that you chose, and uh, I, I know from doing my own big band projects, it's uh, it's always a delicate matter because you have so many great musicians here in New York, and and so many players you want to include and showcase, and and uh, inevitably it seems like somebody gets left out. But I thought you did a just a wonderful job uh, from top to bottom. There, every section sounded great in terms of uh, section playing. The soloists are world-class i mean it's unreal i was listening to it yesterday driving around town it's just uh just tremendous so just share your thoughts about how you kind of uh how you kind of tread that fine line yeah it's a great question i mean there are so many guys in new york you could put like five big bands together of different <laughs> personnel um uh, i kind of modeled it after a few records i'd done recently one of the great tony cadillac uh, mm -hmm. on you know lead trumpet um your record um, had a, a few different sections of personnel. Also, Mike Colliber did it kind of that way. So I, I like, you know, I had a giant list of, of all the people that I really wanted on there and um, whittled it down to kind of like two different sax sections um, with Carl Moraghi still playing Barry in both sections, but like I wanted to get a bunch of different soloists in there. Um, and then with the trombones and the trumpets, like again, um, there was only like one personnel change because we did it over two days. So there was only one personnel change for each of those sections. Um, so mostly like the, the continuity between the sections was there for mm -hmm. both days, which mm -hmm. I thought was great. And then, I mean, as a drummer, I play with a lot of bass players that I really, really love um, who be, become my partners in, in rhythm. So I had two, three bass players on the big band record. I had to include my, my brother, uh, Dan Loomis, who's, you know, the bass player from the Wii Trio and arguably my most uh, trusted um, uh, compadre in rhythm, along with the great Ike Sturm, who uh, between the two of those guys, I've played, you know, a millions hours of music. Um, so yeah, Dan is on a track, Ike is on two tracks. And then the bass player who I probably played the most with in the last 10 years is Matt Closey, who's an incredible musician and um, is on the quintet record as well. So he kind of got to see a little bit uh, a difference of how the music evolved over time because otherwise no one is the same on the two records mm. just Matt Closey mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I thought was cool 
But yeah, I always knew that I needed to have the great Mike Davis on the record um, <laughs> Who? Pl playing lead, uh, the great Tony Cadillac playing lead, um, uh, and then, yeah, some of the other soloists, Donnie McCaslin, um, Jason Rigby, uh, Charles Pillow, who's Mike and I are on his big band record. Um, Troy Roberts. Troy yeah. Roberts. Amazing wonderful solo on soloist. That. Yeah, incredible. Um, John Gordon on alto, Dave Pietro on alto, um, Marshall Jokes on uh, the lone trombone solo <laughs> on the record, which is super cool. Um, and then, yeah, Nier Felder plays a lot of great guitar solos, and two of my favorite pianists, period, are Dave Cook and Adam Birnbaum, so I knew I had to have both of them on there also. Yeah, awesome. Uh, it's just, just tremendous. Um, let's talk a little bit about... Um, the role of the producer, you know, and a lot of folks, you know, so, uh, musicians, of course, know, but producers kind of like uh, it's kind of like the director of a movie. You know, you're really in charge of, of uh, overseeing things and making the decision if you've got the take, if you got if we need to do what, whatever you might need to do. Right. Um, so the producer is, plays a very important role. And obviously you co-produced it. So you had a huge input of, of that yourself. But you uh, had Mike Holliber, who's just a world-class musician, and as you mentioned, he has a, his own great big band, and, and he's a great arranger and, and phenomenal ears. Yeah. Obviously, that was a great fit, and, yeah. it, and he was, it's always a pleasure to work with Mike. But yeah. talk, talk a little bit about that, if you will. Yeah, Mike was uh, super integral to the process of just making this as good as possible. Um, you know, he was in the booth when we did all the, the recordings, and... You know, I'm I'm just trying to be in my role, playing the drums as best I can, and and be you know the supportive musician. So it was really really helpful to have Mike's ears in the in the booth and in the studio. Um, as far as you know, like everything from yeah, you got that take. The vibe was great. The energy was great. The tempo was great. To like uh, third trombone, you know, you're a little <laughs> flat. Uh, Yada yada yada, but um, so him being in the booth was incredible. But then after that, just in the editing process and the mixing process, like that's when it gets so elevated because he's checking out all the scores with me and going, and you know, there's a wrong note there. That note was a little late. Should we fix it? Should we not? Um, and just kind of we came together to have these artistic choices with the music, and you know, I, I could not have done it without him. He was such a huge, huge part of the, about the sound of the record, mm -hmm, you know, because mm -hmm. he similar uh, thing is that he used James Farber and Brian Montgomery to to mix his record, and I I wanted to use those guys because I really loved the way that his record sounded and came out. Um, but yeah, also for the quintet record, my wife co-produced it, mm -hmm. and and she is an amazing musician um, and has great ears and was really an integral part of that session too, um, mm -hmm. just being in the booth and giving feedback. And I couldn't have done it without her either. Yeah, that yeah, is, so that's that's, a, that's cool. very cool. And I can attest to her outstanding musicianship. I get to work for her wow. every once in a while, and uh, she'll let me know if I'm uh, a yeah. little out of tune or a little out of time. She you hears did. everything as well. So <laughs> very cool. Um, and lastly, let's talk a little bit about uh, this interview is going to come out before, so this is a good time to do a little promo for it. But uh, the the first live showcase of the band yeah. uh, at Birdland on yep. October seventeenth. Yep. Uh, tell us about that and uh, who's going to be there and whatnot. Yeah, so we're we're going to do it up. We're going to play this music live, which was incredibly <laughs> hard. Um, you know, I'm a little uh, nervous, but I'm very excited. No, I'm not nervous. It'll be amazing. Um, but I'm, I'm nervous. I, I'm super excited to play it live for people because uh, the record came out incredibly well. 
Um, so, yeah, the, the hardest thing was to whittle down who I was going to have on the gig. Um, so we've got, uh, let's see, who's playing? Um, Charles Pillow, Jason Rigby, um, a wonderful sax player, Lucas Pino, is going to play. Oh, wow, great. So a couple other guys oh, were, huge fan were uh, unavailable. Um, let's see who else. Uh, Carl will play. Mike's playing. Alan um, Ferber. Alan Ferber is going to be there playing. Um, Jeff Nelson on bass remote. Jeff Nelson on tr on bass. Uh, trombone sec. I mean, the uh, trumpet section is the same. Tony, uh, great Scott Wenholt, um, uh, Brian Pareschi, and John Owens, and then um, Adam Burmum on piano. Near Felder on guitar. Matt Closey on uh, on bass. Awesome. So what will be cool for for Matt is he didn't get to play all the tunes on the record, but he'll play all the tunes live. And uh, same for um, Adam Birnbaum on piano. So it'll be neat. Nice. And it's 5 o'clock start, right? 5 o'clock start. October 17th, 17th, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, one set only. Yeah. If you're in New York and uh, Birdland's on 44th Street, come down and check us out. Uh, we'd love to see you there. And it's going to be a great uh, afternoon of music for sure. Um, okay. I said we we're going to go back to the okay. early years. Let's the, take uh, it back. Let's, uh, you're one of the rare individuals who grew up in L.A. Correct. and didn't stay in L.A. Correct. Most people go to L.A. <laughs> um, talk about it. I know your folks, uh, lovely people and, and outstanding musicians in their own right. Just a little bit about growing up in uh, such a musical household and, and just sure. and growing up in yeah. L.A. Um, so, yeah, I was, I, I was born in L.A. in the San Fernando Valley. Um, I don't know if I can say this, but 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 the porn capital of the world. Ah, you might yeah, want to edit that out. You dig. <laughs> um, uh, and you know, ever since I was a tiny little child, I heard music around the house. Whether it was my mom, who's a classical pianist and a piano teacher for forty, fifty years, um, to hearing uh, my dad practicing for one of the numerous um, film dates or orchestra dates or casuals. Um, what they call it out there when you right. play a, like a club date. Um, I always heard music and... Um, and your dad was a percuss percussionist. Percussionist and a great drummer um, who's, you know, been on hundreds and hundreds of movie scores mm. and mm -hmm. played with the L.A. Phil and, um, you know, just, just done a ton of stuff. And he would be practicing some weird instrument that I never saw and he would tell me, oh yeah, that's a hammered dulcimer. I'm going to go play it on White Fang the movie or something. <laughs> so that was always cool to hear. Um, and yeah, so I, I grew up with these these really incredible parents who, you know, I, I never, un, until high school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. I had um, played classical piano early on, obviously, Greg gave me some giant steps, chops. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I was really a, a pretty serious classical pianist from about age 5 to 14, 15, um, and hadn't really touched the drums all too much. I... I was aware of the drums, and I had gone out and kind of fiddled around and figured out stuff and played to some Led Zeppelin records. Um, but, like, yeah, I didn't take lessons until high school. I had a mm. wonderful teacher named Jerry Califf, who's a colleague of my dad's and just a great, great musician. Mm. Um, but, you know, I was, I was focused on piano and just focused on being a kid. Um, <laughs> And then kind of the big turning point of my life came when I was a sophomore in high school and my parents, they decided, well, we don't really like the trajectory you're going on in, um, in this, this one high school you're going to, the neighborhood high school. And uh, my dad had known about the school in L.A. proper, which was about 25, 30 miles from my house. 
um, called Hamilton Academy of Music. And um, they, my dad uh, took me, woke me up on a sun, uh, sun, Saturday morning, like really early. He said, yeah, let's get in the car. Let's take a drive. It's, it's beautiful out. You know, I said, what, Dad? What are you doing? Um, we get in the car and we drive for about half an hour because without traffic, it takes about a half an hour to get to my high school. And um, he, he says, oh, look, there's uh, that Hamilton school. Like, uh, yeah, my buddy's kids go there. Let's check it out. So he takes me in to the school and uh, he says, oh, look, they're doing auditions for next year. Why don't you go play some drums? I said, Dad, what are you talking about? What is this? You did this? So, yeah, unbeknownst to me, my dad had set up an audition for me to, go, to play some drums for the jazz band. And uh, I, was, I was very weirded out by it, but I was, I was like, fine, I'll do it. Yeah, whatever. Just can we go home and get some pancakes? Um, yeah, well, that's a great way to approach auditions. You don't have to get worried about getting don't worry nervous. About that. Yeah, I guess like, so. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Then. And then, so they called me back the next day. They, they were like, "Yeah, we want you to come here and play. You know, be the only drummer in our in our third band." And I was like, "Okay, that's great. I mean, I don't really want to leave my other high school, but my my parents thought this would be a good opportunity for me." Um, and it was. I mean, I, I credit this this first year of of being at Hamilton as like definitely my uh my being roped into the music mm. life um, mm -hmm. i was there with a, a lot of amazing musicians who have gone on to do wonderful things including like kamasi washington and uh cameron graves great pianist and um the the lineage of musicians who went to hamilton is is wide and far so mm -hmm. needless to say like i probably by halfway through that year i said okay i think i want to play drums for the rest of my life hmm. um, wow okay and at that point i was you know very very into jazz um still listening to some other music but yeah and then you know i was uh i started at the bottom there and um Worked my way up to being the top drummer when I was. Um, it was a very competitive atmosphere. Bet, yeah. A lot of a lot of uh, great drummers went there, um, and uh, the great Abe Laboreal Jr. was oh, right, a, right, um, right. is an alum of there, and so I would see his name on on these trophies and on these walls, and um, so it was cool. Wow! Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Tell briefly tell us about the commute. Yeah, yes. I, I remember you told me that the years commute ago. is rough, <laughs> and as a kid, you kind of don't know better. But I woke up at five o'clock, five thirty every morning to get on a bus at six thirty every day. Takes an hour and a half to get there. A muni bus, uh, not, a, or not no, a school bus. It was bus. a school oh, bus. Oh, it was a school bus. Okay. It was a school, yeah, not a muni <laughs> bus. But a school bus that would go through all these funny neighborhoods, you know, through the valley and then make its way either over the 405, which the traffic was horrendous, or, you know, on Pacific Coast Highway, which you felt like you were going to fall into the ocean at any moment. Um, but yeah, it was an hour and a half each way, so I'd get home super late. Um, you know, like the bus left at 4, get home at 5.30. Um, but but at this time I was listening to a ton of music. It was the mm -hmm. first time I heard John Coltrane on on the bus. Can always remember a great uh, French horn player played this for me. My favorite things. That's basically the first wow. small group jazz I had ever heard, which is pretty incredible. Um, uh, what a great environment to be in, though. Yeah, it was great. I mean, student. obviously, well worth it. My parents knew that that well. They took a gamble, and yeah, it worked. It worked it out. It certainly did. Um, <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's fast forward a little bit to uh, you mentioned the Eastman School of Music, yep. um, and I'm sure you had a similar uh, shock to to your system coming from California. I grew up in Northern California, but yeah. got, well, I remember the first winter in Rochester. I was just like, "What is this?" What? <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah. Share some of your memories about uh, Boy, about being at Eastman. Was it rough or what? Um, <laughs> yeah, the first time I saw snow was when I went to audition there, and I believe it was in April or something. You know, <laughs> so you would think Sounds that the weather right. would be a little bit yeah. better, but yeah, still snows in Rochester in, in April, and f first winter there, freshman year. You know, maybe a good 30, 40 days of snow, but every yeah. year it just kept getting worse. And boy, did I miss Southern California. <laughs> and I, I'm not a huge fan of L.A. in general, obviously, or I would have moved back there. Um, there are great things and the weather is great. Um, but yeah, I think Rochester was a great way to prepare me for New York City weather mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it's definitely not as bad as, as Rochester. Yeah. Yeah. Rough. And 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 you studied with John Beck. Was he, I studied he with Rich Thompson. Uh, oh, you studied with Rich, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Rich Thompson, um, an incredible teacher and a great musician who kicked my butt in all the ways that needed to be kicked. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I came into Eastman like only listening to music post 1965, which is <laughs> always what my buddy Dan likes to make fun of me about. You know, I never listened to anything earlier than like the second Miles Quintet and, and Rich opened my eyes to to the jazz drums lineage that needed to be learned. And, and I credit him with a lot of, um, a lot of the way I, I sound and the way I think about music because he really, really was an incredible teacher. Sure. And, um, yeah, he was. He's a great player and a, and a great guy, and uh, yeah, I owe a lot to him, and uh, it was great. I ended up playing um, in a marimba quartet as well. And we once we played for John Beck, he was like, "Yeah, pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> but I also like to tell the story that um, when I auditioned for Eastman, I kind of didn't either see or or didn't want to see that you had to do a, um, a legit part of your audition too. Like I just thought I was there to play jazz drums. And I look on the page and it's like, oh, you need to play this excerpt, this timpani excerpt, this marimba excerpt. And I said, shit, dad, <laughs> mom, what do I do? Well, you gotta go get the books and uh, we'll play it. So I go across the street <laughs> to the bookstore and I get the books and I sight read my timpani <laughs> and my marimba audition. And Beck said something like, that was really good. You're sight reading, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yeah, sorry, I messed up. But he's like, okay, very good. But he, he knew, but I, I passed that part, thank God. Oh, that's great, yeah. That's a great uh, one-two combination, having Rich Thompson and, and yeah. John Beck as, yeah. uh, as uh, running the percussion totally. the jazz drum department there. It's fantastic. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the move to New York. And I think everybody goes through that anxiety you know I, I i certainly did but I, it's it's a big jump to yeah. make a decision where you're going to uh, move obviously for folks like us who do what we do it's new york or la um and you know what 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 was it what what made you want to move to new york um, and and why not la and then if you would share the story about because it's a uh, jared's diabetic and in the fact that what you had to look out for for your own yeah. uh, health issues yeah, so when I came to audition for, I believe, Manhattan School, I had never been in New York before. I said, oh my God, there's a jazz club here, 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 here. <laughs> this is where I want to live. And I always enjoy the energy of New York versus L.A. You know, I am a, a relatively um, energetic person, and uh, just the pace of life here is is more my style. I like to move quickly and to get a lot of things done. and. You know, the L.A. kind of yada, yada, yada. It's not my thing. Um, it's a great place. But so, yeah, I had made up my mind that I was going to move to New York after college, I guess pretty early. 
I think my parents would have liked me to come back home and to maybe get a graduate degree somewhere so I could teach or have something to fall back on. Because I just wanted to move to New York to play jazz. You know, mm. that's that's that was my goal in, in, in life and partly succeeded. But um, I, I had a few buddies who had graduated early from uh, Eastman who were, you know, second year grad students when I was a junior or they were seniors when I was a junior. And... Um, they had moved here and kind of set up a little bit of a, a, a shop as far as um, playing some local gigs and jazz gigs and stuff. But a few of them had worked at Apple Computer. Mm. And, you know, as Mike said, I'm a, I'm a type 1 diabetic and, you know, I need insulin to live. And I need insurance to pay for that insulin, especially as a poor college student or post-college student moving to New York. And... Um, so my by a very amazing uh, saxophonist and uh, a great friend Brian Van Arsdale, he was working at Apple and he got me a job there. I worked there for basically two years so I could have health insurance. Mm. Um, I worked basically my first year in New York. I was working forty-hour weeks there. I was uh, teaching at a private school and I was playing gigs in the nighttime. So wow. life was pretty pretty chaotic. I can't remember much of it. <laughs> this is also, you know, partying a yeah. little bit, you know. Um, and as that as time progressed, there it was. I was playing more, but still not really playing with any big artists. Um, but you know, playing a lot of creative music, and. Um, uh, I was playing with a, a great uh, guitar player named Jim Hirschman. Restaurant gig, you know, $50 restaurant gig, drive to Queens, three hours, drive back, pay for parking. You know, you're not making a lot of bread, but Jim had asked me one day, you know, are you ever interested in um, playing Broadway shows? And that was not on my radar whatsoever. Um, and I said, yeah, what's, you know, what's it entail? What's the deal? And, it's, and then he told me all about it, mm -hmm. which uh, we can talk about if you want. But, yeah, yeah. but uh, basically, you know, I credit Jim Hirschman for getting me into, this, into the Broadway scene. He recommended me to two fantastic drummers. Um, and, and long story short, I ended up quitting Apple because I was also getting sucked into that, you know, retail life. And mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I knew that I couldn't do both at the level I wanted to do. So, yeah, I, I started, that's when I started subbing shows and getting health insurance through mm. the union. Yeah, nice. So that was a big turning point for me. Well, it's, it was a perfect segue. I wanted to talk about Broadway. And, and um, you know, Broadway is a, a really important part of the, the New York freelance scene, yeah. for sure. And, um, and having, you know, we just went through the pandemic and now we're, uh, Jared and I are doing a show together right now called Moulin Rouge. In fact, we just won 10 Tony Awards uh, Last night at the the uh, the, the uh, award show, and uh, it's really happy that we won best musical. It's great, and uh, typically that means the show is going to run for a while. So yeah. we're happy about that. But um, let's just talk about it a little bit because you know it's. I think, I think as you just just perfectly described, it's not something that's on. If you're an actor or you know singer, you know that's something that's definitely on your radar yeah. as a possible as a musician. We're certainly aware of Broadway shows, but I think, you know, I'm not sure that you think, oh, I just want to be playing in a Broadway pit, right. you know. Um, but that becomes part of, a very important part of, of what we do as freelance musicians. And um, it's an important, uh, it really, especially for New York, I mean, it's really yeah. the, the main the main freelance component, I would say. Yeah. But um, maybe just, to, you know, kind of continue along that sure. line of, of what you were talking about with yeah. Broadway. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I hadn't had it on my radar. I, um, 
I was brought in, and you know, this great, great guitar player Jim Hirschman recommended me to sub, and I so I started subbing on shows, and the idea of that is basically you get the music to a Broadway show, you get maybe a video, maybe an audio recording, and your job is to go in there and sound as much like the drummer as possible. Whether that drummer plays louder than you, softer than you, more licks than you, whatever, it doesn't matter. Your job is to go in and make sure that no one else notices that they're not there. And for me, that was a challenge that I really, really dug. Um, also, the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done in my life. Um, I always say, like, I've only been nervous two times in my life <laughs> to play Broadway shows and to play with Wynton Marsalis when I was 18. So, um, yeah, so I, I got into subbing shows and... and through that, um, I, I thought, wow, this is actually a really nice way to play music and to make a living and to supplement my creative endeavors and playing jazz gigs and then doing a different show a night. And then it was just, yeah, I'm, I've always been a guy who's uh, enjoyed doing a lot of different things as most, um, I think most high level musicians like to do. Um, I always thought that I would be playing different types of music, you know, on the road or in town, but never Broadway shows. But I had a background of doing, you know, high high school theater. So I yeah, mm -hmm. I knew the knew what it was like and had some ideas of what shows could be. And there are a lot of fun shows. There are a lot of non-fun shows. Um, but it's been a great part of my career here in New York, and uh, something that I definitely don't take for granted. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I've I've had a lot of really really good shows and a lot of musically fun shows. Um, and I'm very uh, grateful for that. Yeah, I think uh, also you mentioned subbing as for a drummer. To me, that's the most challenging and uh, nerve-wracking thing I could possibly imagine. I mean, I always feel like the drummer. Yeah. I mean, the drummer's driving the bus in every band. So, yeah. but on a Broadway show, the drummer is the lifeblood of what's going on. Yeah, and to have to come in and. Uh, it's bad enough to sub on a, on a trombone right. chair or something, but uh, you're so exposed in the uh, so. Obviously, uh, they they tapped right into your talents, and then you were able to uh, be you know you're a very coveted guy now. People are trying to get you to go to do their shows and stuff. Like um, so, yeah. And I think I agree wholeheartedly. It's something we don't take for granted, and and no. we're happy to you know, like I said earlier, we're super happy that we're going to be at Moulin Rouge for a minute. So yeah. uh, so that's a good thing. Um, let's talk about you. You alluded to it earlier. Let's talk about balancing the creative side. Uh, with the work uh, side, you know, uh, our great videographer, Kent Smith, um, and I were talking before you got here, you know, when we came up, there was, um, was years before you, uh, you know, there's the studio musicians, probably similar to your dad, yeah. you know, the, the idea was versatility and, and you could play a whole bunch of different styles and, you know, super wide range of stuff. Um, and you weren't so focused on the the creative the artistic yeah. thing and now I, I think it's in a way even though there's less work it's kind of um, healthier and refreshing that you know some of these people who've gone for the creative are now doing some of this studio work yeah. because they have a very distinctive uh, sound right. and 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 like you did you're able to adapt you're at such a high level musician you're able to adapt to whatever it is if you've got to play a show that's Latin based or right. more, more classically based or right. whatever that is Maybe just talk a little bit about how, how you approach that, because I'm sure, you know, a lot of times we all think, oh, I just want to be doing my creative stuff 24-7, and that's 
not that practical for, uh, yeah. for as a musician. I mean, right. some some occasionally get to that point, but it's it's a, it's a balancing act. Yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to have a a, a career playing music, not. Um, or not, I've always wanted to make a living playing music, not obviously having a career, but I saw all the stuff my dad did, you know, he, he, he t even taught middle, you know, middle school band for a year just to, to supplement um, income. And like, you, you always have to do a lot of different things. And if you are able to, to do those convincingly, then you should be able to work doing anything in music. Mm -hmm. And I, so, I, yeah, I didn't, think that that was the way my my career would turn out but i my job is to make every situation sound good and coming from a background of playing lots of different styles you know early on i i knew that i could um yeah adapt to different situations and make a broadway show sound good and make you know my my we trio sound good make singers sound good you know i play a lot with singers and that's a, a, a totally valuable skill to learn how to play dynamically and get, you know, with intensity. Um, I think that just the, the sheer amount of uh, gigs that I've done where I was either like told that you're too loud or, <laughs> or my ass was kicked in some way just makes you better. I mean, I had a, I've played at this, the jazz church in New York for 16 years and one of the most boomy rooms yet one of, also one of the most beautiful places to play and I kind of learned how to play quiet and intense there so that has has brought a lot to my playing um, but yeah my, my job is to make everyone sound good and sometimes I can you know do a little of my own shit here and there um, especially in, in a Broadway show like I learned very on that very early on that like don't put your shit in your Broadway show because no one else is going to be able to do it and then the cast will be mad that you're not there. Right, so that's right. what happened to me at Pippin. You know, I overplayed the book. I played all my hot licks, and then when the when the subs came in, the actors got pissed because it wasn't you know cool enough for them or the shit they were used to hearing wasn't there. So that was a nice wake-up call that, like, okay, play the book, like, serve the purpose of the show. It's not, you know, it was my first show. I was a young kid, um, super pumped. But, yeah, as you learn, as you get older and you get more opportunities to originate books, Broadway books, you learn that you can put your stamps in there at, in certain moments. But for the most part, you're, yeah, you're serving the music and you're serving the purpose of the show. What a great way to, to describe it too. I mean, any situation you're in, it's it's you're about you're there to make the thing, yeah, you know, exactly. feel good and sound and sound good and uh, and even as as brass players, I know uh, we don't have the same level of responsibility yeah. that a drummer does, but you know, lead trumpet players will take stuff up yeah. an octave, or bass trombone players tend to want to go the other direction, right. take stuff down an octave. Right. But on a show like that, it's very, it is really important to to be aware of that because yeah. as soon as they get used to hearing that, they're going to say, "Oh, I want that double C every night," you know. Yeah, and, right, and, exactly. and all of a sudden, you just uh, yeah, you just reduced your sub list I, by fifty percent. <laughs> uh, but very cool. What a great way to to, uh, to uh, an outlook that's important, I think, for everybody yeah. to take. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about teaching and and I know you we were talking about it earlier uh, last week you've got some nice guest artist appearances coming up and I have a feeling uh, one uh, with the traction you're getting with two takes that's just going to keep getting more and more and and uh, I know doing those myself it's one of my favorite things I get to do is go yeah. out and work with young uh, and 
and programs that are going to hire a guest artist are they're they're so receptive because yeah. they're they're open to it so they're yeah. they're, they're thirsty for whatever you, right. they can get but maybe talk a little yeah. bit about that I'm I'm really pumped to to kind of like take this next stage of my career as like doing the doing the guest artist thing at at you know wonderful high schools and universities um with the WeTrue, we did a lot of uh, of clinicking and just guest artist stuff ar around the country, whether it be like an assembly for a middle school just playing jazz or even elementary schools to like, you know, doing a lot of guest artist stuff with colleges and working with, you know, students um, of all different discipline levels. It's always been a wonderful part of, of music, a music, a musical life for myself. So... Um, just the fact that I now have these like eight charts that I can bring to to different schools um, is is really great for me. So yeah, I'm starting out um, the day after uh, our gig in New York. I'm flying to Indianapolis, and that'll be the first school that plays uh, my music at the at Butler University. Um, so I'm very excited about that. I'm going out to do some workshops and a concert in uh, the great city of San Jose, California. You it dig. is great. <laughs> um, and I'll be at the, the Harker School um, there. with I'm bringing a bunch of people from New York, which is great to play the quintet music. And then uh, next year, I have a couple things. Um, one that I'm super excited about is I'm going to be in part of the Great American Jazz Series at the University of North Florida. Um, with uh, Marquise Hill and myself. Mm -hmm. So we'll be doing a bunch of clinics and concerts, playing both the small group music and the big band music. So I believe Marquise will get a chance to play the big band stuff, which he hasn't at all, right, which right. will be really, oh, really cool. That's, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, I love, I love being able to give back um, just the, you know, the stuff that I've learned and the ways that, that people have helped me along mm -hmm. the way. And you know, if we don't teach our, our kids and our young musicians how to do it right, then there's just going to be a bunch of assholes out there. <laughs> you dig. We've already got plenty of that anyway. Um, <laughs> well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your family. Uh, you, we mentioned your lovely and, and very talented uh, wife, Amy. Um, your son, and you have uh, a, new, a new one on the way. I do, yeah. We have a, a, a beautiful son, Jackson, who um, will be two uh, coming up on, in December. And we are due with our second child, who, which will be a girl, um, no name yet, um, and possibly the same birthday. So wow. we'll see. Oh, that's yeah. great. And then it's in about three months from now, I'll have two children, <laughs> full-time job, and going on the road. So thanks, Amy. <laughs> thanks, any help we can get. Um, yeah, so well, that's very exciting. I was going to ask you what the next five to ten years look like in your career, but uh, you probably just set it up. Like you're going to be at. <laughs> well, listen. What, what are what are some things that are on on the horizon for you? I'm sure. I'm from the creative side. I'm sure there's going to be many more projects. Yeah, I, I want to keep the the my solo stuff going. I want to be able to travel and uh, bring my music to other people around the country and around the world. Um, I got some stuff brewing in Japan for my music. Mm. Um, I, they're they're big fans of big band music there, which is great. Um, I just want to, yeah, I, it's something I think about, but I, I, I'm going to focus a lot on my family and uh, making sure my kids grow up um, with their mom and dad being together and uh, and and um, just like being there for my kids. You know, my 
I was very fortunate that my dad worked in town and didn't go on the road a lot. Um, I think that was something constantly he he battled. Mm. You know, I think he had a lot of opportunities to do big things mm -hmm. on the, on the road, but but stayed in town and was there for me and my brother, mm. which is. Um, a, a, an amazing thing and I'm very fortunate uh, you know I'm also very, very fortunate that uh, to have Broadway show where we can stay in town and um, and sure. see our families and Hank yeah, yeah absolutely so yeah. but yeah I somebody asked me the other day if I would do another big band record boy I don't know <laughs> I think I might buy a house instead yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> Yeah, I need to uh, I need to collect a couple years of my pension, and then maybe I'll have enough money to do another big band record. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome, though. Um, you know, as we close out, and I and I often ask this question, and you're the perfect guy because you're still a very young a young man. Um, what uh, what advice do you have for young musicians that are looking at Jared Schoening and say, "Oh, I want to be do what he's doing," and and and. Uh, I always think it's important to realize that, you know, the business is, is fluid and it's constantly changing. Obviously, yeah. it's changed dramatically since I was uh, new in town. But in, even for yourself, a young person, it's, it's changed a lot. And, and I'm just curious what you're what how, when you look back on, on how well you've navigated through the scene and achieved the success that you have. What uh, what would you offer as advice to young people? That's a, that's a good question. A lot of. A lot of the good advice is out there. You just know, need to know where to find it and who to find it from. Um, I, I think always be, be prepared, you know, for the gig that you're going to do. Uh, practicing is really important, but but seeing music and listening to music, um, most importantly, seeing live music is is an integral part of mm -hmm. the way we just internalize music and internalize the process of playing music because we could listen to recordings all day and transcribe and do that but it, it's nothing like being out there and seeing music um, and I think that the younger generation has kind of forgotten that that seeing stuff and seeing music is really important you know I think obviously coming out of the pandemic um, there will be more opportunities to do that um, and I guess the last the, the last bit of advice that I learned from my dad is keep your mouth shut. Um, <laughs> and it's not something that I've already always done. Um, and, I, I, you know, there's a lot to... It's really important to just do your job sometimes. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and that's something hard uh, for me as an extroverted person most of the time. Um, but I think that just just doing your job well and uh, you don't have to talk about how well you do it sometimes is, is my own problem. Um, but I think that's the advice I'd like to mm. pass on to some that's, people. That's great <laughs> advice and, I, and I'll take it myself. <laughs> you dig. Jared, this has been really a pleasure. Uh, I want to remind everybody, we, we've talked about it uh, at great length, but uh, check out this record when you can. Two takes, uh, both volume one, volume one, the quintet, and this one, volume two, the big band. An awesome record. I wish you much success you. with it. You're already you. having tons of success. Thank you so much. And uh, super fun today. Thanks yeah, for coming. Thank we're we're longtime friends, and yes. uh, and uh, we've been had this on the list to do for a while. And this was the perfect uh, uh, vehicle to to do that. So thanks for coming to New City, Jared. Much Everybody, check you. out two takes, and we will see you next time on Bone to Pick.